You're listening to Simple Roots Radio, episode three. I, I point out to people that life is a series of self-correcting uh, chemical reactions. Uh, and we have to do that to keep, you know, the sodium and the potassium, calcium, magnesium, all these uh, minerals in a very narrow range in our uh, bloodstream and in our cells in order to stay alive. If it gets out of that range, we die. So there's a lot of self-correction that will happen continuously. So if we can help our body get rid of the stuff that is toxic to it, uh, so help improve detoxification pathways and help it get more of the stuff we need, which is the vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and things like love, family support, movement, exercise, meditation, and sleep. Welcome to Simple Roots Radio with Alexa Schurn. Alexa believes that simplicity in life is the key to achieving true and lasting health. A nutritionist by trade, Alexa has rebelled against common misconceptions about nutrition and has created a realistic health style that will allow you to live a healthy, satisfied, and more simplistic life. It's raw, it's real, it's unfiltered. It's Simple Roots Radio. And now your host, Alexa Sherm. Hello and welcome back. I'm so excited that you've continued to join us in this journey today. We have a very special guest on the show, Dr. Terry Walls. She is a lady that knows more about healing yourself from the inside out than anyone I've met. She is living proof that food and lifestyle changes can be some of the best medicine. But before we get there, I just want to remind you, while the topic of nutrition is always going to be central to our discussion, we're also going to dig into personal development, simplification, and making real and honest changes that can be sustained for life. As I mentioned, in this episode, we're going to chat with Dr. Terry Walls. Dr. Walls is a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine in Iowa City, Iowa. Here, she teaches medical students and resident physicians, sees patients in traumatic brain injury and therapeutic lifestyle clinics with complex chronic health problems that often include multiple autoimmune disorders. Dr. Walls has published over 60 peer-reviewed scientific abstracts, posters, and papers. Dr. Walls is the author and founder of The Walls Protocol, which is based on functional medicine and the Walls Paleo Diet. Most importantly, she is walking, biking, thriving proof that food can be medicine. Today, I'm going to be asking Dr. Walls about her personal struggle and triumph with multiple sclerosis the increased diagnosis around autoimmunity and the possible reasons for this, why so many of us suffer from chronic fatigue, and the one thing we can all be doing for our health to prevent early onset of disease. So let's get started. Welcome to the show, Dr. Walls. I'm so excited to have you here. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, a fellow Iowan. So good to have you on the show. So we're just going to get started right away. Dr. Wall's story really became a viral sensation after a TED Talk that she gave back in 2011, explaining her story and her findings. Dr. Walls, can you give us a little backstory on your journey from simply practicing medicine to your diagnosis and the changes you've made since that diagnosis? Sure. So um, before entering medical school, I was an athlete, had uh, competed nationally in taekwondo, full contact, uh, free fighting, uh, and got a bronze medal uh, in 1978 in the Pan Am trials. Oh, wow. Went off to medical school, uh, did well, had kids, was, uh, things were going along. Uh, and then in 2000, uh, I was diagnosed uh, with relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis. That was on the basis of a, a history of visual dimming 
and a, uh, 13 years earlier, and a new problem with weakness of my left leg. Mm. Had a big workup, saw a lot of docs, uh, finally had MRIs of my spinal cord showing lesions at the level of my neck, and abnormal spinal fluid consistent with relapsing remitting MS. I knew that within 10 years of diagnosis, one-third will have uh, some level of gait disability, and one half will be unable to work due to severe fatigue. Uh, and so I, being an academic doc, sought out the best center that I could find that was very active doing clinical trials. That was the Cleveland Clinic. Mm-hmm. Saw their best people, took the newest drugs. And still within three years, my disease had transitioned to secondary progressive MS. And that's the phase where there's no more spontaneous improvements. You can simply expect a uh, slow decline uh, and progressively worsening disability. Uh, That's when I went back to reading the basic science uh, and began studying the animal models for multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, Huntington's, Lou Gehrig's, dementia, and would begin to experiment on myself based on what I was learning. Uh, uh, And the vitamins and supplements seemed to slow my decline, but they Mm -hmm. did not lead to recovery by means. Uh, the summer of 2007, I discovered the Institute for Functional Medicine, took their courses, had a much longer list of things I could be taking in pill form, uh, mm-hmm. vitamins, uh, to help my brain. <clears throat> and then I had a, a brilliant awareness that I should use this long list of nutrients to redesign my diet. And, and I'll back up just a moment. Mm-hmm. You know, in 2002... My neurology doctors at the Cleveland Clinic had told me about the work of Lauren Cordain. Uh-huh. And I, uh, after being a vegetarian for 20 years, I went back to eating meat. Uh, but I still declined. Okay. I had added you know, a bunch of vitamins and supplements, still declined, although uh, more slowly. It was uh, in the fall of 2007 when I reorganized my paleo diet according to functional medicine and what I'd learned in basic science, from my basic science reading, what were the nutrients that my brain cells needed? And so when I had my newly reorganized paleo diet, uh, <clears throat> that's when the magic began. Mm. Within three months of this new way of eating, my fatigue was gone, my uh, brain fog was gone, and I was getting to walk with a cane uh, and in a year, I uh, was biking again. In fact, I did an 18-mile bike ride with mm-hmm. my family. Wow. Uh, and so this really transformed how I thought about disease and health, and it would transform how I would practice medicine, and then it would uh, ultimately transform uh, the type of research that I do. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. I, I think it's interesting that you talk a lot about just starting with the supplements and and using that as a means to kind of slow your progression, but not really seeing that change until you switched your actual diet. And I think that's so common amongst us. You know, we kind of all want that quick pill or that supplement that's going to help. But really, in the end, you saw that change when it boiled down to the actual real food that you were eating. Can you speak yeah, on that correct. difference a little bit? Yeah. Well, you know, I have a lot of friends in the paleo world and in the functional medicine world. And uh, the paleo folks can get into thinking that um, if you give up grains and legumes and dairy, everything will be fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I did that very meticulously. 
but I still declined. Mm-hmm. And when I was doing the vitamins and supplements, uh, things slowed, but I didn't get better. Mm-hmm. You really have to uh, be much more uh, comprehensive and intentional in how we're uh, that thinking about our approaches to food. Right. Particularly when you're as desperately ill as I was. You know, if you're if you're mostly well, just switching to a paleo diet may be sufficient. Mm-hmm. But if you're uh, desperately ill, you may need a much more uh, aggressive uh, approach to your nutrition. Uh, it, and that's you know the kind of program that I've created that is much more aggressive, much more intentional, uh, and has a much better chance for someone who's really quite ill to stop their decline and turn things around, get them back on the road to recovery. Right. So what would you say the foundation of your diet is right now? You know, um, I'm very much into vegetables, lots Mm -hmm. and lots of vegetables. I'm a tall lady, uh, so about six foot tall. I have uh, a plate full of greens every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have uh, another plate full of vegetables in the sulfur group, cabbage family, onion family, mushrooms, um, and then uh, a plate full of things that are deeply colored, carrots, beets, berries. So that all adds up to about nine cups of vegetables. Um, and then I'll have, um, you know, probably about six ounces of meat somewhere in there as well. Uh-huh. Uh, and a handful of nuts. Okay. Did you say you were a vegan before you switched over? Or did well, I... I, well, I was a vegetarian for oh, 20 veggie. years. Okay, yeah. So You know, I, I, I grew up on a farm and uh-huh. decided... Um, Reading the diet for a small planet to become a vegetarian, my parents were appalled. They thought I was destroying my health, and they were very upset. And probably because they were so upset and pushed so hard, I resisted more. I right. might have abandoned it <laughs> sooner had right. they not uh, been so, so uh, concerned. Would you say you grew up on the standard American diet, or you know the typical oh, well, Iowa not- farm life diet? I would say, you know, the Iowa farm diet, which was probably pretty healthy. We had uh, a lot of vegetables out of our garden, uh, right. the adult livestock that we grew. Um, I went off to college, uh, was still eating vegetables, but, you know, I was eating more pasta and breads. Um, and, of course, at that point, I had given up meat. Uh, and so I, I became very carb-centric, uh, a lot of breads, a lot of pastas, a lot of legumes. Uh, I, I was still having dairy and cheese, so at least I was having that. Mm-hmm. You know, when I did go back to eating meat, I chuckled. I figured my parents were finally uh, laughing in their graves, or at least, <laughs> you know, grateful that I had finally seen the light. Right. <laughs> I mean, this is just interesting to me. And, and I know that you're a believer that everyone's body is a little, you know, a little bit different, that we need to listen to our own bodies Correct. and that there's not really one set standard across the board that's going to work for everyone, although you've laid out a nice set of general rules, but you're still a believer in understanding and knowing your own body. And and so what did you notice Absolutely. when you added the meat back in, going from vegetarian to now eating a little bit of meat? What helped it was you? A, it was a big change for me. Uh, it's a lot of prayer, uh, meditation to mm-hmm. get back to eating meat and added make this transition uh, gradually. Um, and I was giving it foods, uh, you know, that I was very, very fond of. Um, right. Bread, legumes, um, whole grains. I'd been doing that for years. So it was, it was a big, big change. 
And surprisingly enough, there was not a big change in energy or mental clarity. I was still declining. But the fact that I was doing something mm-hmm. um, was reassuring. And I figured uh, whatever was going on in my brain, repair would come on very, very slowly. Uh, and so that I should, I uh, was willing to stay the course. Mm-hmm. But at, at in 2002, I'd gone back to eating meat. Uh, by 2007, you know, I, I uh, five more years have passed. I can't sit up in a chair anymore. I'm in a recliner or in bed. I can walk very short distances using two two walking sticks. I'm losing my keys and my phone. I'm struggling with brain fog. And uh, my boss has called me in to tell me he's, he's reassigning me to a new clinic at, at the end of uh, in about six months. So in the end of January, I'll be in the traumatic brain injury clinic. And my uh, wife, uh, Jackie, and I know that this is the VA's way of telling me that we're done redesigning your jobs. You can keep working. You're mm-hmm. finally going to have to take disability if you can't do this anymore. Mm. But of course, it turns out that by the time I did go to that clinic, I could do the work. Right. And now, being in a traumatic brain injury clinic was the perfect place for me to be uh, because I had so much to offer uh, these vets. Right. Right. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. I mean, just the change going from almost bedridden, well, but very close. Very close to very bedridden close. to now functioning as you should. It's pretty incredible to see that. And what I'm seeing is that autoimmunity seems to be popping up more and more. And and maybe we're even classifying more diseases as an autoimmune condition. And the frightening truth is it seems to be happening younger and younger. What are your thoughts on the relevance of autoimmunity today? You know, do you see any correlation? uh, uh, It's happening more frequently, Mm -hmm. Uh, more diseases, uh, for example, atherosclerosis, clogging of our arteries. Mm -hmm. The basic scientists now stating this as an autoimmune condition. Uh, we have uh, children as young as uh, six that are being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. I think this, uh, there are several factors that are involved. Uh, one uh, has the hygiene hypothesis that as we cleaned up our water supply uh, and so that our children are having fewer uh, bacterial and viral infections and mm. worm parasitic infections as children, Mm-hmm. Their immune cells are not being properly matured, and so they're at much greater risk of developing autoimmunity. Uh, the, uh, the concern about the development of leaky gut, mm-hmm. um, that is having the wrong mix of bacteria in your bowels, uh, appears to mark be a first step in developing autoimmunity. Uh, the overuse of antibiotics appears to be increasing your uh, lifetime risk of developing an autoimmune problem. Uh, The increased amount of toxins, um, heavy metals, plastic solvents, herbicides uh, in our environment, in our Mm -hmm. uh, water and food supply, indoor uh, air air environment, uh, worsens uh, autoimmunity if you get it and will make it more difficult to control. So all of these factors are happening, um, and that's why I've designed my program to address all of these factors um, and to provide a, a much more comprehensive intervention right. to quieting the symptoms of autoimmunity. Mm-hmm. 
you mentioned in your protocol, the WALS protocol, you underline a specific diet for those suffering with autoimmunity. Is there a key pattern behind what you lay out? Does it take into account lifestyle changes as well then? Yes. So uh, the diet really stresses vegetables in the green, sulfur-rich, and deeply uh, colored category. Uh, High-quality protein, and I give guidance for those who want to continue to be vegetarian for their spiritual beliefs. Uh, and guidance for those who are willing to eat meat. Uh, we talk about uh, stress-reducing practices uh, in the critical role for uh, controlling our stress hormones. Uh, and then I talk about how uh, exercise uh, stimulates the production of something called nerve growth factors mm-hmm. that are very important in telling my brain to rebuild and repair uh, the brain cell connections and synapses. Uh, yeah, and we talk about sleep, uh, social relationships, uh, higher purpose in life. Mm-hmm. All of these factors mm-hmm. um, will help speak to my genes, shift how I run the chemistry of life, mm-hmm. and will make it more likely that my body is tilted towards health and vitality and away from uh, worsening disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that because it's it's such a sphere of health. You know, it's not just nutrition or it's not just exercise. There's all these other components. And I love how you say it just kind of changes that chemical structure within us. And it really has an impact on us. And I think it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it changes the nutrient density or, or how our body can absorb those nutrients. So, um, yes. you, know, I, you know, I'm a firm believer, and I know you are as well, that quality matters more than quantity. Yet we're a society that's so numbers focused. How can we develop a better understanding of the micronutrient profile as this is kind of a central point in healing? Well, um, I, I help uh, people think about um, we, we, we are chemical factories. Mm-hmm. We rely on the building blocks to run that chemistry properly. Uh, and so our food needs the vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, uh, amino acids, uh, and the correct fats to rebuild ourselves molecule by molecule. If we have sugar but don't have any of the other parts, we can't run the chemistry properly. Uh, We can't build our structures properly, and our vitality will steadily uh, decline. It's sort of like uh, trying to build a um, sturdy bridge using toothpicks or a sturdy bridge using steel. Mm -hmm. If... All we want to give ourselves is weak uh, supplies, that is, toothpicks to build a strong body. It's not going to be very vital. Yeah. It won't, you won't have a strong bridge. If you get steel, uh, you can have a strong bridge. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes so much sense. I, I love talking about the chemistry of, of the body. I'm kind of that science junkie. I, I know that when we look more specifically at the cell and something you talk often about is mitochondria, which are the powerhouses of our body. They're pretty incredible, and yet we've treated them so poorly, kind of like you use the toothpick analogy. Can you help us understand the importance of the mitochondria better and what we can do to oh, optimize yeah. their functioning? We rely on those mitochondria so we can have efficient operation of ourselves so they can do the work of being whatever organ, tissue, or whatever part of our body that it really is. Hmm. 
I'll, I'll also make the observation that because our mitochondria are ancient bacteria, when we take antibiotics, we are stunning our mitochondria. Mm. Mm. And when we take antibiotics for a long time, for example, if you have Lyme's disease and you take them for right. a year or several, that can damage your mitochondria in a very substantial way. Hmm. Uh, and so that can lead to some uh, long-term health problems uh, just from the long-term use of the antibiotics. Right. So kind of like the chronic fatigue we so often associate chronic with fatigue, yes. Lyme disease and other, I mean... The Lyme disease uh, is, is often the consequence of the damage we cause to our mitochondria from that long-term use of the antibiotics. Is this a damage that can be undone, or is this, would you consider Well, this? actually, I, I, I'm very pleased to tell you that I've had uh, you know, thousands of people from the Lyme's community, community reach out to tell me that uh, it's when they discovered my work and my protocol mm-hmm. and adopted the principles that I teach that they finally recovered. Mm. Uh, and began to get their lives back from their Lyme's disease. Very exciting. Yeah, that's powerful, especially when we see people suffer for so long, but yet it shows the incredible power of our own body. And just, you know, when you lay out your protocol, it really is just fostering our own body to heal itself using the building blocks you're providing and how powerful that is to see the Lyme sufferers and, and your story even to see yourself restore back to normal functioning. I point out to people that life is a series of self-correcting uh, chemical reactions. Mm. Uh, and we have to do that to keep, you know, the sodium and the potassium, calcium, magnesium, all these uh, minerals in a very narrow range in our uh, bloodstream and mm-hmm. in our cells in order to stay alive. If it gets out of that range, we die. So there's a lot of self-correction that will happen continuously. So if we can help our body get rid of the stuff that is toxic to it, uh, so help improve detoxification pathways and help it get more of the stuff we need, which is the vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and things like love, Mm -hmm. family support, movement, exercise, meditation, and sleep, that self-correcting chemistry will bit by bit replace the incorrectly made molecules with correctly made molecules, Mm -hmm. and you will be rebuilding a healthier, more vital you. We see very, very very commonly in my clinics and in my clinical trial that people get steadily younger and younger and younger. Hmm. Now, my kids and I laugh. I've been at this now, um, well, let's see, eight years, Uh, and... They, they tell me, my hair, yes, is getting more gray, but my face continues to steadily use them. Uh-huh. And if you look at serial, serial photographs, that definitely is true. Um, it, it's certainly what we see in our clinics, that as people embrace this program, uh-huh. they steadily uh, use them. Uh, biologically, they use them. Uh, they feel better. They look younger. Uh, the guys come in uh, with a big smile because they're telling me that their love life is better. <laughs> the ladies come in with a big smile uh, because they're, they're telling me that uh, they're losing weight without uh, any effort. Mm-hmm. It's it's very gratifying to see. Right. Yeah. Just those lifestyle changes. You know, it doesn't have to be as complex maybe as we 
we like to make it, although our bodies are very complex, but just kind of simplifying it. So going along with that, we've been led to believe for so long that everything in moderation, while I generally cringe at that term, we have it stuck in our brains that we just have it once in a while won't have an impact. But Dr. Walls, what do you say to that? Is it an all or nothing approach? Well, um, I work with people where they're at. Mm-hmm. I uh, do tell them uh, they're going to work with me in our group classes. At a minimum, they have to be gluten-free. Uh, and if they can't do that, uh, they don't get to come work with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have them implement what they can. I strongly encourage gluten-free, dairy-free, and at least for a month, egg-free. Uh, and then we see uh, if we need to personalize things beyond that. But if people um, who are gluten sensitive eat gluten once in a while, that revs up the inflammation. They feel uh, uh, a lot of pain and misery, mm-hmm. brain fog. Uh, and it takes them uh, several weeks to recover. So, uh, no, you, you can't have foods to which you're sensitive on an occasional basis. It, mm-hmm. it revs up uh, everything uh, again. Uh, and people often find that the reactions get progressively more severe. Mm. Yeah. But would, and, it, and it's very helpful uh, if you do have uh, reactions that you see within a couple of days, because that can help keep you uh, honest. Uh, about a quarter of the folks don't get an acute reaction. Instead, they get what I call uh, are the dwindles. And uh, the worst thing comes on very gradually over two weeks. Uh, it becomes very difficult to have the insight to link your poor food choices to your decline. And those uh, those individuals have a much, much harder time mm. uh, to stay fully uh, compliant. Right. Sometimes those symptoms do pay off in the end to help you stay in check. You know, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very grateful for my face pain because it is uh, a very accurate barometer of how clean my environment is. Mm. Uh, and if I'm having a trigger of my face pain, I have to sit down and and really look at uh, what, what did I get into that uh, is causing the increased symptoms. Right, right, yeah. So you know, the WALS protocol talks about diversity in the foods that you eat, basically not being repetitive day in and day out. Dr. WALS, does the diversity in the food you eat, even eating seasonally, mean, what does that mean to the health of your body? Well, so... Our ancestors would have, in general, had over 200 different species of plants and animals that they consumed over the year, Mm. Uh, and there'd be a fair amount of seasonal variation uh, with the plants uh, and the animals. Uh, And for many of us, we're eating maybe four or ten species at most. Um, And of course, that means you have much less nutrient support. Right. Uh, so I, I spend a lot of time saying, try to get 200 species. And so I track that because it's sort of fun. Right. It gets me much more interested into trying new spices, new teas. <clears throat> and if I see a new vegetable or fruit at the market, like, I got to try this out. Yeah. <clears throat> because I'm trying really hard to get up to 200. And, and so it adds to the adventurous, the willingness to be adventurous. Right. In our food, and we should be. Right, exactly. Yeah. Grocery stores make it so easy for us to eat the same foods 
every single day. And yet, you know, I think it's becoming unknown that there is even seasonality with things. I mean, in Iowa, it's a little bit easier because we have the true four seasons, but we still have access to everything all year long. So seasonality is something I hope that become makes a comeback um, in the way that people eat uh, as well. And plus, the food tastes so much better. And I'm sure that getting 200 different species of foods, did you say within a year? Within a year. Yeah, it greatly increases your satiety yeah. alone. Yeah, l- last night I, uh, I, was, I made uh, chili for our family, uh, and uh, my kids were like, oh, my God, this was, they thought it smelled so wonderful, and I wanted to know what, and I said, these are all vegetables that we had from our garden that I froze last summer. Oh, yeah. I put in uh, to make our chili, and it was wonderful. Right. It was fabulous. Right. Nothing sweeter than your own harvest. So going along with that, how how about getting some of the other foods you mentioned in your protocol, such as organ meats and those sulfur-containing vegetables, maybe two of the food groups that um, are a little bit more challenging for the average person to, yeah. to just jump on board with? So uh, organ meats are ancestors, uh, when they slaughtered an animal, uh, a third of the meat is what we can, uh, traditionally call organ meats. Uh, you know, heart, tongue, liver, uh, kidneys, mm-hmm. uh, gizzards. And that would have been the first choice uh, of protein. And then uh, they might have gotten around to eating the muscle meat. So pretty easily, a third of their protein uh, was organ meat. And our great-grandmothers certainly uh, knew that you'd have liver and onions or heart right. uh, two or three times a week. Um, the trick to uh, having those foods that taste good is to know how to cook them so they're not uh, completely done. If you overcook them, they're uh, tough, uh, mm-hmm. leathery, and really quite miserable. Um, but uh, if you leave the uh, liver medium rare, it's actually uh, very tasty. Uh, my kids like it a lot. You can uh, then blend it with some olive oil to make a liver pate mm. and have that with guacamole and a kale leaf rolled up. Uh, kids like that too. Um, uh, oysters, mussels uh, are very good. Uh, little uh, sardines, if you get the whole mm-hmm. uh, small animal, uh, it's very good. So tongue is is very, uh, very tasty in a pot uh, all day long in your crock pot with uh, some cloves, bay leaves, and uh, a star anise. Mm-hmm. Um uh, very nice family uh, likes that a great deal. Uh, heart will taste like the best steak that, you, that you've had, uh, the best filet mignon. Uh, we'll be having that tonight uh, uh, with onions and mushrooms. Uh, that'll, uh, that's a very, very big mm-hmm. So I'd say tongue and heart are the <clears throat> easiest taste-wise uh, because they uh, feel very familiar right. uh, or similar to a, a steak or a roast. But because they um, have a much higher uh, amount of coenzyme Q, mm-hmm. uh, they uh, are qualified as organ meats. And they're you know, very easy in the crock pot, very tasty. They are yummy. Yeah. There's kind of a craze going around, it seems like, that people are taking liver pills or supplements to have the same benefit. Would you argue that it's still better to eat the food than to take it in a pill? Oh, <clears throat> uh, I want people to to uh, get the nutrients in. Mm-hmm. If they can't get it, their head around eating the food, yeah, take the pill. Mm-hmm. Uh, better, better to eat the food. 
Besides, I have some uh, uh, charts that I go over uh, when I give my lectures uh, showing the nutrient density of the um, liver, uh, heart, uh, compared to the other meats and vegetables. And it really is uh, marvelous superfood. Mm. Do you always say that quality is more important, making sure you get it from quality, quality animals? Quality is more yeah. important. Yeah. Is that across yeah. the board when you... And you uh, certainly uh, want your organ meats to be organic. Mm. Right. Right. Because a lot of those organs store some toxins in them as well, something you're trying to avoid. Well, the uh, toxins are in the fat, and most of the organ meats have a fair amount of fat in them, particularly uh, the liver. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you'll have more uh, toxins in that. Um, and in general, I, I would say we're much better off having uh, organic uh, meats, uh, because uh, people will probably remember from biology that toxins are bioconcentrated as you go up the food chain. Mm -hmm. So um, ideally, um, we have wild game, grass-fed meat, organ meat, pardon me, uh, organic meat. But I, I, most of my patients are uh, veterans, don't have a lot of funds. Right. And I do assure them that you, you simply do the best you can given your economic resources. Uh, and you'll still have your health improve. It will be somewhat more slowly if you're not able to buy organic meat. Mm -hmm. so, uh, that's fine. Uh, but you still need eat vegetables, lots of them, and eat meat. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you'll cook at home, you can do you can do all of this without spending more money. Mm -hmm. But you do have to cook at home. Right. Right. A key picture. Just a couple more questions. Taking this beyond diet, there are so many other lifestyle elements that make a definite impact in our overall health. You've kind of mentioned a few, but what are some of the other elements you talk about in the Walls Protocol? Well, um, you know, I think life's purpose uh, gives us a great deal of resilience. Mm -hmm. And I spend mm -hmm. a fair amount of time talking about um, what I did to find meaning in my life uh, when I was looking at getting more and more disabled without any hope of recovery. Um, uh, and then I... Uh, talk about the need for sleep. Um, I spent years thinking that four hours of sleep was enough, and mm. now I know that seven to nine is much better, so I, I've uh, uh, addressed uh, improving my uh, sleep patterns. Um, exercise is very important because it makes nerve growth factor. Uh, so we talk about uh, uh, balance training, stretching, and strength training. Uh, and uh, the social network you have around you mm. is, is that social network helping you make health-promoting choices mm. or are they encouraging you to make disease-promoting choices? Those are some tough, I mean, that's something that could be difficult for people to face is is looking around at who's surrounding them and the impact that that's having on them. It's pretty profound. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I definitely like the the purpose aspect of it because i i mean i even find myself sometimes or going through phases where i just question that and always good to con continue to pursue and and have that purpose is so fulfilling so what is the single most important thing you think everyone should be doing for their health or if stated differently what is the single most important thing you do for your own health like that one thing you can't not do well um, I'd say eating vegetables mm. uh, uh, is really very important. Um, then I'll tell you the other thing that I think is so important is having a clear uh, purpose to my life mm. uh, and meaning uh, in my life's experiences. Because, you know, 
stuff happens that are difficult to deal with. Uh, And uh, if I have a clear meaning and purpose, then it's pretty easy for me to continue to make health-promoting choices and not get caught up uh, in uh, addicting uh, sugars and gluten and and, uh, all these yummy things, to Mm. which I'm still addicted. Um, But, you know, it's uh, very clear that I'm don't want to make those choices, so I'd rather go back and have my vegetables. Right. How did you find your purpose, do you feel? You know, um, I read this book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, by Viktor Frankl many years ago, and his uh, uh, thesis was that between every event in our life and our response to it, uh, there's a space, and in that space, we choose what we'll do, and that choice defines our character. Mm. So we can choose uh, things that affirm life or uh, debase life. And so as things were getting more and more difficult, uh, my purpose was I wanted to inspire my kids that even when life is difficult, you get up and go to work every day and do the best you can. Mm. And... um, that was how I was going to show courage. You know, life was getting more and more difficult, uh, and so I'd be in my pool swimming, and I'd keep thinking, your kids are watching. You're going to swim, you're going to go to work, because your kids are watching. Mm. Um, and now my my purpose uh, has more to do with helping others realize that, you know, if I can get my life back from as severely ill and disabled as I was. Right. There's a very good possibility that they could have uh, some very favorable changes in their lives, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've provided hope to a lot of people. I know that for sure. Mm-hmm. Dr. Wells, this has been amazing having you on the show. And I, I feel like we could talk just about finding your purpose. And, and, and that aspect alone is just so it's so meaningful to me. Um, so maybe we'll have to have you on again at some other point. But Dr. Wallace, tell us where we can find more information on you, your protocols, even the Walls yeah, Foundation. Yeah. Sure, sure. So go to my website, terrywalls.com. That's T-E-R-R-Y, Walls, W-A-H-L-S.com. Um, uh, sign up for my newsletter so you can hear about the uh, seminar that we'll have this summer uh, in August. We'll have a health professional day uh, as well. Uh, and information will be coming out uh, in our newsletter. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Terry Walls MD. I'm on Twitter at Terry Walls One Word. We are conducting a clinical trial uh, looking for people with relapsing remitting MS uh, who also have fatigue. Uh, and we have information about that uh, on my website. Uh, they could also email my clinical coordinator, uh, Catherine, with a C, hyphen Chenard, C-H-E-N-A-R-D, at uiowa.edu. Awesome. And just one last question before we go, and I'll let you get off the phone. I can't not ask, can you give us any insight onto our, your latest research and the findings there? Like, what are the up-and-coming oh, sure. exciting news? Really quick before you go. So uh, we have our gate paper uh, that's uh, off uh, to another journal. Hopefully, uh, we'll get that under review. When that is finally accepted, we'll be able to have uh, links to that, which will mean We'll be able to finally have links to the videos pre and post so people can see some of the amazing uh, changes in gait. Mm. 
we're writing up the changes in the MRI findings, and we are analyzing the changes in the thinking and mood. So we have some very exciting papers that uh, we're working on, uh, and I have to tell you, it's such a long, slow process, writing, getting things published, going back and forth, doing all of that. But, you know, it's exciting. A lot of change. Right. A lot of change is happening. Exciting change. Thank you so much for being on the show. You've provided a lot of value to a lot of people. It's been great having you. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much again. I so appreciate this. Thanks for being an inspiration. As Dr. Walls mentioned, if you'd like to learn more about what she does and her beliefs, you can find her at terrywalls.com. If you're suffering from an autoimmune condition and are looking for advanced help, therapy options, and a plan that works, make sure you visit her website to learn more about the Walls Protocol. As always, everything you'd like to know about Dr. Terry Walls, along with further links, where to find her book, and how to contact the Walls Foundation will be listed in the show notes created especially for this episode. You can find it at simplerootswellness.com slash 003. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to keep the discussion moving on your thoughts on today's episode and encourage one another to put her number one tip into action. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you visit my website, simplerootswellness.com and sign up for my free simple detox guide that gives you tips, tricks, and hacks on how to increase your body's natural detoxification pathways and get a jumpstart on your mitochondria, as Dr. Wells mentioned in the show. Finally, as always, you would make my day if you would take a minute out of yours to rate and review the show. This will make the podcast visible and findable by new people sharing in the knowledge, helping them to cut out the noise, achieve simplicity. This one simple step could be just the encouragement someone else needs to find lasting change to a more fulfilling life. If you give it a five-star rating and leave a review, I'll be sure and mention you by name in an upcoming episode as a small way to say thanks. To write and review the podcast, just visit simplerootswellness.com slash iTunes or simplerootswellness.com slash Stitcher. There is no better time than now. Small, simple steps every day can make a world of difference. I know you want it and I'm here to help. Make sure you keep me posted on your own journey and how we can better equip you to live your best life.